It's great to have you with us, whether you're here in person or joining us online from anywhere around the world. Thanks for making us a part of your week. Uh, looking forward to a message. I want to tell a story uh, of a significant moment, an unexpected encounter that happened at a well a couple thousand years ago, similar to this. But before I do, uh, I got a question. How many of you have gone out of your way, inconvenienced yourself to either get something you really wanted or love or to avoid something you really dislike or hate. Yes? Am I the only one? Okay, okay. so here, since we're being honest with each other, how many of you went out of your way to get something you really wanted or you really like? Yeah? A few of you. Okay. How many of you have gone out of your way to avoid something you really didn't want to experience? More of us. Okay. That's, that's, that's consistent with all of the services uh, this weekend. Um, for me, here's something you need to know about me. I love food. Uh, and so because I love food, I have to exercise and, and be careful about things. But uh, my love language is Chipotle. Um, my, my food love language is Chipotle. Uh, and I, I came from Omaha, Nebraska, which is known for a few things. Number one, our zoo is incredible, uh, the College World Series. But one of the things some people don't know about Omaha is it's the number one restaurant city in America. There's more restaurants per person in Omaha than any other city in America. There's, and, and the argument is there's really not much else to do there, which is semi-accurate. So, um, so we eat out a lot. Uh, I remember a long time ago, probably about 15, 16 years ago, the first Chipotle came to Omaha. It was 35 minutes away from where I lived. It, I, it was on the opposite side of a, of a metro of almost a million people. And I would regularly pass all of these restaurants that were one of a kind just to get my steak burrito with extra green salsa. I would go out of my way just to get a burrito. Now, it may or may not have also had something to do with the fact that I was dating this really awesome woman named Rebecca at the time, and she loved Chipotle. And I was like, well, if we go around the corner, it's just a quick drop off. But if we go all the way to Chipotle, it's a bonus hour we get to hang out. Uh, and so I would go out of my way to hang out with my now wife and go get Chipotle. Uh, and so, uh, but I found that many of us have, have, have these things, whether it's a food or whether it's a place just you like to go. But I've also found that many of us will go out of our way to avoid a situation or a person at work or even a family member. Uh, I can't tell you how, oh, see, now we're telling real stories. <laughs> You know, we all get that text like, hey, we're getting together after church or we're going to get together for Labor Day. And you don't, what's the first question we all want to know? Is Cousin Eddie coming? You know what I mean? Like, who's going to be there? Like, we will go out of our way to avoid certain people. Well, there's this crazy story in the Bible where Jesus goes completely out of his way, but it's not the way that you would think. And so I'm going to, last week we told the story of Zacchaeus. Um, this week, I want to tell another story, but I want to invite you into the story, and I want to help you understand that world, because this is another one of those stories that if you just read the words on a page, you're like, so what? Big deal. But if you know what's happening there and then in that world and in that culture, you're like, no stinking way. And so uh, I want to help us really understand the fullness of this story, and so I'm going to invite you into the world uh, of the Bible so we can better understand the words of the Bible. But before we open them, let's just pray and ask God to speak to us. God, uh, I thank you that your word is alive and active, and it has the ability to speak to us in our current season, in our current context, and you know our, our history, you know what we're bringing in here, and so God, I pray that you would anoint your word, that you would anoint this message, um, that you would move me out of the way, and that you would just speak to each heart. God, I pray that this would be way more than just mere information that would help us maybe learn something cool, but that it would lead to life transformation and that we would walk out of here better than we came in, that we would walk out of here knowing your love and grace and walk out of here being more compelled than ever to love and reach a world around us. In Jesus' name, that's what's up. Or amen, whatever. Uh, 
So this story takes place at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was Jewish. Uh, he was of the nation of Israel. He was the prophesied Messiah. There were tons and tons of prophecies about a Messiah that was going to come save the world. And, and Jesus was Jewish. Now, what you have to understand in that time, there, Rome was running the world, but the Jews didn't get along with everyone. And so Jesus is just beginning his, his ministry. Um, he has just been baptized. He's now baptizing people. And um, he's just had a conversation with a, a, another Pharisee named Nicodemus who kind of snuck away in the night to ask him about this kingdom. And we pick up our story at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. I believe this is in the beginning because Jesus is sending a message at the beginning of what he came to do. So there would be no confusion about who he was or what he's about. And so the story picks up. Um, we're going to jump around in the scripture and we're going to kind of uh, teach it as we go. Um, so John chapter four, if you're following along with your Bibles or your device, I'll also have it right here. So here's where the story picks up. Jesus knew that the Pharisees, those were the religious leaders of the Jewish culture of the day, had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than even John. Uh, though it, Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. Verse three, so he left Judea, say Judea, Judea. and returned to Galilee, say Galilee. Okay, verse four, he had to go through Samaria, say Samaria, on the way. Okay, now, if I tell you this story, that Jesus left Judea and went to Galilee and went through Samaria, most of us are like, okay, he went from point A to point B, he went through point C, great, what happened then? If you are, in, if you are Jewish and you live in Jesus' day and somebody's telling you this story like it happened yesterday, that this Jewish rabbi named Jesus left Judea and went to Galilee and to get there, he went through Samaria, you are like, there's no way he did that. This is revolutionary. Tell me more. What happened? I can't believe it. Jesus did that. But I don't get the sense that any of you are looking at me like that's your response when I read that. <laughs> like, there's no way he went from Judea to Galilee and went through Samaria. I, none of you are looking at me like, what? Tell me more. So I want to help you understand why this would have been such a big deal. So I want to tell you about Samaria. Here's what you need to know about Samaria. Um, Samaria was exactly between Judea and Galilee. Judea was in the south, Galilee was in the north, and Samaria was right in between. The Jewish people and the Samaritan people have this almost 2,000 year history at this point of animosity, hatred. It goes back and it's just stacks on stacks on stacks of story of why the Jewish people hate the Samaritans. And it started early on in the time of Joshua and the judges when, when God had communicated to the Jewish people that you're not to marry foreign women and you're not to worship foreign gods. He laid that out very, very obviously. Well, they settled in a land near the Assyrians and guess what some of them started to do? Marry foreign women, and worship foreign gods. And so this is a group that started to intermarry with the Assyrians. They had this hybrid religion, hybrid nationality, hybrid race that became known as, you'll never guess, the Samaritans. And so they would claim parts of the Bible, but not other parts of the Bible. They would follow some of the customs, but not others. They had this hybrid religion of the law of Moses, but all these other foreign Assyrian gods. And so, and they were giving the Jewish people, the Israelites, a really bad name. It's like we all have that family member that has your last name, but every time he shows up at something or posts something on Facebook, you're like, oh my gosh, why do I have to be related to him? You know what I mean? <laughs> It's like, like somebody who just does everything that doesn't represent who you are. What You're like, that's not how we roll. That's not our people. We don't talk like that. We don't act like that. Can you, it's like, you're just embarrassed to be around them. This was the Jews with the Samaritans. So there's this off breed. And, and so the Jews began to look at them 
as subhuman, as like they literally viewed them as dogs. They were, they were cast outs. They were less thans. They were not welcome because they were basically ruining the Jewish name. They were new, ruining the name of God. And so there began this kind of um, animosity between them thousands of years before. If you fast forward a few hundred years, um, Jerusalem has been destroyed. The, the Israelites are now in captivity in Babylon and a guy named Nehemiah goes to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. Does anybody know that story? Yeah, Nehemiah was Jewish. Well, as he's doing this, there's these kings from the uh, surrounding areas that come to try to distract him, lie to him, and even fight and destroy them while they build the walls. Well, those two guys are named Sanballat and Tobias who happen to be kings of... Samaria. So there's all these ideas and all these histories and all these stories about the Samaritans just keep ruining life for the Jews. And probably the most, uh, probably the, one of the biggest ones is on top of that, that Samaria uh, became a, a place that Jewish um, criminals and those who were, see, uh, who, who were supposed to be on trial for justice, they would escape and go to Samaria and Samaria would like welcome them. They would take them in and they would like give them refuge and take care of them. So Samaria became a place where all of the bad people went to get refuge and they harbored them. Instead of returning them for justice, they were like, no, that you belong here. And so because of thousands of years of this and all kinds of ideas about interracial marriage and, and all this other stuff and, and religion and, and you only, uh, the Samaritans would only acknowledge the first five books of Moses in the, in the Old Testament, but none of the laws, none of the prophets, none of the Jewish customs. They were just this terrible group of people and so you've heard me teach about tax collectors, correct? You've heard me teach about Romans and Egyptians. Here's what you have to understand. The Samaritans were viewed worse than all of them. They hated Samaritans more than they hated tax collectors, more than they hated Romans, more than they hated the Assyrians and the Persians that enslaved them. These were the worst of the worst. Do you understand this? In fact, it was so bad. Go ahead and show the map. This is how bad it was. And this is why I want you to know why this story is already revolutionary in four verses. If you look at the map, you see Judea in the south and Samaria in the middle, and you see Galilee in the, in the top, right? We heard in verse three that Jesus went from Judea to where? Galilee, and he went through what? So here's our little Indiana Jones red line that shows you the, the way that Jesus went, right? Well, here's, here's what you have to understand. No Jew would ever take that route to go from Galilee to Judea or Judea to Galilee. In fact, if you research it, you don't have to research much, they actually had two alternate routes that if you were a Jewish person, you would never be caught dead talking to, associated with, associating with, or even being seen in Samaria. So they had one route on the east that went around the river, and they had one route on the west that would go along the coastal lines. They literally, if you were gonna travel from Galilee to Judea or vice versa, they would walk an extra 60 to 70 miles, which was an extra two to three days journey just to avoid the Samaritans because they were that terrible. They would go two or three days out of their way to avoid these terrible people. When was the last time you booked a vacation and instead of go, how can we get from here to there? You go, why don't we just travel the world, go around, let's, let's waste like half of our vacation time just encircling Nebraska because nothing good comes from Nebraska or whatever. I don't, I don't know. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm from Nebraska. Uh, so I can say that you can't. Um, try it, see what happens. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Can you imagine what has gotten to the point where no Jewish person would walk through Samaria. And by the way, this wasn't because of mountain ranges. I mean, there was a mountain range. This wasn't because of terrain. It was just because they were that vile. They were that messed up. They hated them that much. You would literally go out of their way to avoid the Samaritans. So much so 
that in that day and culture, if I were to be, come to them and say, hey, why do you go out of your way to avoid the Samaritans? They wouldn't even think of it as going out of their way. They would just think of it as this is how we go. It actually would have been viewed in those days that you would be going out of your way to go through Samaria. So when it says Jesus went from Judea to Galilee and he went through Samaria, everybody would have been like, what are you doing? Don't you know the people that live there? Don't you know how bad these people are? Don't you know that that's the worst of the worst? Nobody goes through Samaria. And in fact, if you were a priest or a rabbi or a spiritual leader, you were viewed as actually um, not trustworthy or even ceremonially unclean if you went through Samaria because just to be associated with them was to be vile. Like you'd be defiled. Isn't that messed up? Can you, can you believe that they used to think there was a group of people that if you associated with, it made you less of a person? Oh, are we preaching now? And Jesus, ready for this multicultural crowd, multi-generational crowd, multi-economical crowd, you ready for this? Jesus broke the rules at the beginning of his story because he wanted to set the record straight from the beginning that he came once for all. Once for all. So check this out. So Jesus is going through Samaria. Let's see what, what could possibly happen. Verse 5. Eventually, Jesus came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. Uh, Sychar, I'm sorry. Uh, so he takes this route right through the middle. Sychar, you see right there in the middle, uh, the village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. This is the Jacob and Joseph of the, New, of the Old Testament in Genesis, coat of many colors. Uh, it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Now say noontime. So let's talk about a well. Let's talk about noontime. We have a well here, and this would have been similar to what it looked like. It would have been bigger. But you got to understand, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, you would not create a settlement unless it had access to water because water was essential for life, right? So most of your cities are either on a river or stream, in a port, or often in the Middle East, they would have to dig these wells, and it was literally the source of life. Most of the wells were just outside of the city, so you would walk anywhere from a half mile to maybe three miles uh, to get water one way or the other, and this was the source of life. And there wasn't, they didn't have plumbing or anything like that, and so you had to, this is how you lived. And so every day, there were journeys that we went to the well to get water. This is Jacob's well, probably the most famous well, and Jesus decides to just roll up at this well, at about noontime, in the middle of Sakar, in the middle of Samaria, and his disciples are with him, and his disciples, you're going to see in a minute, they're losing their minds, as they did often. Jesus is just chilling at this well, but here's what you need to understand. This is a very, very hot time of the, a place in the world, a hot time of the year. It's, it's, they're in the valley. This Sakar is right in the valley. If you had to go to the well twice a day to get water, what two times do you think you would go to get water? Morning and evening, yes. It would be like August here in Florida. If you had to walk to a well, nobody goes in the middle of the day. I, listen, this is why I, tell, I told this at the nine o'clock service. This is why you all come to church at nine o'clock. Because it's nine o'clock. The noon service is horrible. You lose 30 pounds from the parking lot to the worship center. <laughs> it's horrible. Like, it's, it's torture in August. It's beautiful in the winter. This is what it would have been like. You went in the morning and you went in the evening because it was, you had to beat the sunlight. So when the sun came up, you went and got your water. When the sun went down, you went and got your water. Nobody in this climate would ever go get it in the middle of the day. Yet he finds himself there at noontime thinking, probably thinking, I don't know what he's thinking. Actually, he knew what he was thinking. Like, oh, this is just noontime. I'm really hot. He's, in fact, it says he was so tired from the journey. He's like, he tells the disciples like, hey, I'm pooped. Why don't you guys go into town and get some food? I'm just going to kick it here. 
That's what, that's what he says. He's tired from the long walk. I'm pooped. Go to verse 7. Now, Jesus is sitting here, and the most unexpected thing happens. He's sitting at the well by himself, noontime. Nobody goes to the well at noontime. But soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Whoa, 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 whoa. In those days, you would never talk to a woman that wasn't your wife. It doesn't matter what culture. In those days, a Jew would never speak to a Samaritan. In those days, nobody goes to a well at noon. All things are happening. And again, we read this like, yeah, Jesus was thirsty. He's like, hey, can I have a sip? No, that's not what happened. He's not like, hey, that looks really, this water looks really good. I walked a long ways just to get Jacob's well. Can I have a drink? It was like, give me some of that Aquafina. That's not what's going on here. He says, please give me a drink. And she says the most Captain Obvious thing ever in response. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. Why? He was pooped. Okay. Um, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Do we understand this now? They refuse. They're like, you don't do this. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. I think she was worried about his like intellect. Like, do you... But she was so caught off guard, she's like, uh, I'm a Samaritan woman, you're a Jew, there's a million reasons why this doesn't happen. And he's like, hey, can I have some water? And she's like, um, what is happening to me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me for a drink? In fact, for Jesus to even share a drink with the Samaritan woman would have made him ceremonially unclean. This breaks all of traditions, not spiritual laws, but traditions. See, a lot of our traditions are built upon social rules that never came from the heart of God. And Jesus is now sitting at a well in the heat of a day with a Samaritan woman at noon. Why in the world is she there at noon? So here's what happens. They have this conversation about water and living water and, and, and all these things. And, and then they talk about worship and which temple and whose, work, whose temple is more holy and all of this. And they kind of go back and forth. And then if we jump ahead to verse 16, um, it says, he's, he says, well, hey, why don't you go get your husband? Jesus told her. See, here's, we're about to find out a really important question. Because I said it in verse 7. What time of the day is it? Noon. So we have to ask ourselves, why is she there at noon? Why not in the morning? Why not in the evening? Again, if you're in this culture, you're reading this, that detail super matters, right? It would be like, it would be, I, don't, I don't even know the equivalent. It would be, you know, like you went to Walmart at 2 a.m. It's like, why? What? Nobody goes to Walmart at 2 a.m. Or, you know, everybody evacuated a hurricane and you stayed. Like, nobody does that. Well, some of you do. You've lived here long enough. You're, you think you're tougher than a hurricane. Whatever. I'm from Nebraska. I'm out. Um, take me back to tornadoes. Um, so we got to find out why is this woman here at noontime? Nobody goes at noontime. You go in the morning. You go in the evening. In fact, what I didn't tell you about noontime was women were such viewed as property, you, you just didn't matter. Here's the reality. In this time in history, if you were born a woman, you were just born the wrong gender. You were disposable. It's true. You were disposable. You were property. Uh, at best, you could raise sons, have boys. Um, you just didn't have any say in anything. So really, and you didn't really associate much. You didn't go out in public. Your husband did all your bidding, all your business. So the only real social interaction in these days women had were two times a day. Guess when they were? Morning. Morning. An evening, 
when all the women would get their pots in their jars and they would walk the one and a half, half mile to three miles, one way and back, and they would do it together. And so they would have their social time. It was the social high point of a woman's life. It was the only time you really got to connect. It was the only time you really had much connection outside of your family. And even then your husband probably didn't treat you that well. You, maybe your kids loved you a little bit, but you were just viewed as property. This was the highlight of your day. You got up going, I at least get to go be outside. I get to talk to other women. I get to add value to my family and you do this. So if you're going to the well at noon, that means in this society of outcasts, the society of hated people, this, this group of people that we would go out of our way to avoid, you aren't even welcome with the outcasts of the outcasts. You don't even get the social interaction. If you go at noon, if you're hanging out at a well at noon, that means there's something about you that is either so detestable or so rejectable or so wrong, you don't even get to hang with the women when you walk. There was something about her that, whether it was implied or, or socially said to her, you don't even belong here. She felt like there was something about her that she couldn't even go get water in the morning or in the evening with the other women. And she's there at noon. Nobody went to the well at noon, but she's there at noon. Some of you know what it's like to have to go to the well at noon, to have something going on about you that is just so shameful or so wrong that you can't even stand the looks you get or the feelings you get, or you know what's being said, and you would go out of your way to avoid that social environment because you'd rather just be in the heat by yourself than have to deal with the shame and the rejection and the looks, and they saw what I posted, and they know the story of my family, and they know whatever the legacy of this, and they know the sins of my past, and it's like, you know what? I'd rather just avoid all that. I'd rather avoid the shame. I'd rather avoid the humiliation. I'd rather, you know, I'll just go to the well at noon. It's hot. It's lonely. It's terrible. I live a subpar, subhuman life, but at least I don't have to deal with that. This is that woman. And now Jesus and John are going to give us insight. Why would she have to go to the well at noon? Jesus says, hey, um, why don't you go get your husband? And she says this, I don't have a husband. She goes, she said, I don't have a woman. The woman replied, Jesus said, you are right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the one you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Verse 19, the sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. How could you know this about me? How do you know? Well, again, this is why we need to, let me, I've told you about noontime. Now let me tell you about marriage and women. women I've already said it, women, you had no, if you were born a woman, you were just born the wrong gender. I, in fact, I want to read something to you. Um, this was a letter that was written to a, 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 from a husband to an expecting wife in that, in that time of, of history. It says, she wrote a letter and he says, when I, uh, he was off on business, he says, if you are delivered of a child before I come home, if it's a boy, keep it, but if it's a girl, discard it. In fact, by the law of Romulus of Rome, at the same time, a father was required to raise all healthy male children, but the firstborn female and any other, uh, I'm sorry, was required to raise all healthy male children and the firstborn female, but any females after that were discarded and disposed of. In fact, if you look at the history of the culture, there was a huge gross uh, dis uh, disparity between the amount of men and the amount of women in the world because so many women were cast aside. You literally, I, I hate to say it, but it's just how it was. You literally didn't count. You literally didn't matter, even in your own culture. Yet Jesus is talking to this woman. You had no rights 
In fact, you were viewed so lowly that your testimony wouldn't even hold up in, in a trial. If you witnessed something, you, did, you're, you couldn't be trusted or valued. That's how insignificant you were. And so when it says that she has had five husbands and the man she's living with now, that reads a lot differently in this culture than it does for us. Because I think, you know, in this culture, we go, man, you've been with five, you've had five husbands and like the man you're with now isn't the guy, like your husband. We're all like, man, that girl gets around if you know what I'm saying. Like, that's how we read it. Like, she just needs to figure out like what a woman wants. You know what I mean? Like, like he liked it. He put a ring on it. But no, it, listen, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that because here's why. First of all, in Jesus' day, divorces were very, very rare in, 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 like in general. But as a woman, if your testimony doesn't hold up and you have no rights, do you think you can file for divorce? So a woman who's had five husbands in this culture, what does that mean? It means either they died or you were just not wanted anymore. There was something so wrong, so hideous, so unlovable, so messed up, so dysfunctional about you that five different guys tried to make it work and they either died, which is super like devastating, or cast you aside, probably a combination of both. And it says, now you're living with a man that's not even your husband. And here was the reality in this day and culture that lower class women could actually marry into a pre-existing marriage just as means of survival. To serve around the house, she would be used for sex, she could make things happen, and he would cast her aside as you wanted. It was, it was basically like a second wife or a concubine. This was a common a means of survival for women in that day. So when it says you've had five husbands and, uh, and now the man you're with isn't your husband, this isn't like some woman who's like, thinks she's got it. You know, like that, that's not happening. She's hideous. She's rejected. She's not worth keeping around. And so she is at a well at noon and there's something so messed up about her that she can't even face the women who don't count in a society of outcasts and rejects. She is the outcast of the outcasts. And here's what I love about this story at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He wants to send a message to the whole world. I'll go out of my way. I'll go where I shouldn't go to meet one person at their well. Because for her, the well was every day, the well was a reminder, you don't belong here. You're not welcome here. There's so much wrong with you. You don't get to be a part of normal society. You're a Samaritan. You're a woman. Listen, every box was checked that you don't matter. And Jesus went out of his way in the middle of the heat to meet one. This is arguably one of the greatest societal rejects of Jesus's time. And he starts out his ministry with this long conversation. By the way, the longest conversation Jesus had with anybody recorded in the Bible, this one, with a Samaritan woman. This was revolutionary. And he sat down at a well, tired as he was, so he could let this one woman know that he would go into the unknowns, cross all the boundaries to let her know she matters. So he's like, you must be a prophet. How did you know this about me? She's excited, why? Because somebody actually knows her, sees her, cares about her story and watch her reaction. Jump, we're gonna jump to 25, uh, verse 25. The woman said, uh, they're arguing about where they should worship. This is hilarious. They're like, well, you guys say we should worship here, but we think we should worship here. And there's kind of this like, un you ever been in a debate that no one can really solve? And so she's like, well, the woman said, well, I know that the Messiah is coming. Uh, he's the one who called Christ. And when he comes, he'll explain and clear all this up. And Jesus is like, hey, who has two thumbs and is that guy? Me. Verse 26, he says, I'm the Messiah. You're looking at him. They're arguing. And he, she's like, well, Jesus, is, the Messiah is going to come someday and he'll tell us how it is. He's like, uh, him, got him, found him. Sakar, noon. Well, you and me. Any questions? Her mind is blown. Jesus broke all the rules for her. 
Then Jesus, and this, this should make sense to us now. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Do you understand how big of a deal this is? That verse isn't in there because Jesus didn't like, just because he didn't have game. You know what I mean? Like he was like awkward around women. Like they weren't like, Jesus, you're so weird around girls. We're so surprised to see. That's not what that means. Not like your friend in high school. You're like, he may never speak to a girl ever. You know, like we all knew that guy. Some of us were that guy. Oh, um, that's not what's happening here. They were shocked to see him talking to a woman because guys didn't talk to women. Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. It's hot. You're tired. What is going on here? Watch. It's so revolutionary. It's so intense that it says, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? They're, they're all these disciples. They're just like, ask him, ask him. Like, I asked him. You asked him. Like, you, I asked the last question. You asked this time. And I said, none of them would dare ask Jesus like, because here's what's going on in their mind. What are you doing? Where did you bring us? Let's get out of here. We don't belong here. This is against all the social norms. Like, can we just go to Galilee, please? Here, have some bread. The funniest part of this, go to keep, let's finish this. The woman left her water jar beside the well. You forgot something super important and ran back to the village telling everyone, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Watch the effect it had. One encounter with Jesus affected a whole community. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. The disciples wanted to get out of there. Jesus wanted to be there. He wanted to go where he wasn't supposed to go so he could love who wasn't loved and show grace and mercy and purpose to those who never understood grace and mercy and purpose and love because Jesus will meet you at your well. What's your well? What's your well? That's good. But what's your well? What's the thing that you have to do in secret or silent? What's the thing that makes you feel like you have to not be a part of the community, not be a part of the church? You don't get to be a part of the, the group at work. What's the shame? What's the thing in your past? Because whatever that is, Jesus wants you to know through this message here and now that he will go out of his way to meet you at your place of dysfunction and shame and sin and not good enough and say, I will go out of my way to meet you here because you are just as worthy of love and mercy as anybody else on the planet. His love is for everyone of all time. There is no us and them. There is no insider and outsider. And Jesus sends this message at the very beginning of his ministry. The people came streaming. Check it out. Here's the effect it had. So the people came streaming. Verse 39. Yeah, go ahead. We'll jump to the end. So many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, he told me everything I did. And watch this. It says, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. The disciples are hating this because they didn't have Hilton's and Hamptons back then. Like they had to stay in the house of a Samaritan and Jesus is like, okay, guys, here's the plan. We're gonna go stay at a Samaritan's house for a couple days. And they're like, you have got to be kidding us. This is horrible. I need a bath. I don't associate with you. The disciples are losing their minds. And he, he stayed, no rabbi would be caught dead in Samaria, let alone stay for two days. Why? Because for thousands of years, there was this us and them narrative. And Jesus wanted to set the record straight that it's just all us, that my kingdom and my love and my salvation is for anyone who would freely receive it. And he went to Samaria and he stayed. This is before all of his other ministry stuff. Verse 41, he stayed long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And I love this because they went from hearing to experiencing it. It says, then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you said, but because we have heard him ourselves. And now we know that he is indeed the savior of the Jews. Nope. The savior of the Samaritans, the savior of just the black people, just the white people, just the rich people, just the old people, just the millennials. 
He's the savior of the world. He's the savior of the world. And here's what I love about this. This is the transformation that happens when you go from hearing about Jesus to experiencing him for yourself. This is what they're describing. We heard your story and it sounded really compelling, but now we've heard and we've received him and we've been transformed as well. Jesus went to meet the, the, out, of, the out of the out, the worst of the worst at her well. And the effect was a whole city was transformed because his love extended and his grace extended. And no matter what you could bring to your well, Jesus wants you to know here and now, he will meet you with all of the love and grace and mercy and purpose you ever have looked for at your well if you will just receive him. In fact, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter five, verse 20. I love this. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Because here's the reality. We all have a well. We all have a bunch of stuff that's in here that we don't want anybody to see. And if we could just hide and just show them what we want to show them and like make sure our hair's all done, our makeup's did, like it all looks good. As long as you don't look, as long as you don't know why I'm here at noon and why I have to come by myself and, and, and why, if, as long as you don't look in here, we all have that. And the Bible says that whatever you got in your well, Jesus has more grace for you. Whatever sin, whatever divorce, whatever mistake, whatever arrest, whatever thing you did that you think separates you from being used by God and loved by God and you could never love me, the Bible says that however much sin you bring to Jesus, guess what he brings? More grace. So if you bring a little bit of sin, he brings a little bit of grace. If you bring a lot of bit of sin, he brings a lot of bit of grace. He will always outgrace your sin. That's the best news. And it doesn't matter what nation you were born to, what generation you belong to, what your economic status is, how long your rap sheet is, whether you've ever been to a small group, led a small group, or can't spell small group, his grace will outgrace your mistake. And so this is way more than a dude who was hot and wanted a drink of water. It's a God who will break all boundaries and seek out the one so that you would know he loves you. And he's just confident enough in his love that if you receive it, he knows that it'll affect the people in your life. It'll spread like it did in Sakar. So what do, we, what do we learn from this? What does this mean for us? Simple, two things. Number one, Jesus just wants to meet you at your well. What's the part you've been keeping from God? What's the thing that you haven't told him or haven't confessed or haven't let him in on because it's just, it's too unbearable. You don't want to revisit it. It's too shameful. It's, it's something you don't talk about. It's a hidden addiction. Whatever sin you bring, his grace overwhelms. So if you bring a little bit of your, your well, he covers that. If, he bring, if you bring all of it, his grace increases more, his forgiveness, his love. Some of you, you've never accepted Jesus. You've never, you've never believed in it like they did. And, and today you have an opportunity just to say yes to him at your well. So that's the first thing it means for us. Here's the second thing. For those of us who are followers of Jesus or Christians, we're either going to be more like the disciples in this story or we're going to be more like Jesus. And if I could just be so bold, the American Christian church needs to do a lot better at loving everybody. 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 It doesn't mean signing off on lifestyles. It doesn't mean adopting belief systems. But Jesus didn't, wasn't worried about her gods at that moment. He just wanted her to know she mattered. The love covered the multitudes of sin. We could, it would be better if we were known for what we're for rather than what we're against. Can I just get an amen on that? And so for some of us, if we already have Jesus, maybe, just maybe, we could go out and love like Jesus. Instead of, what if, instead of going out of our way to avoid difficult people and avoid difficult conversations, what if we went out of our way to love difficult people and embrace difficult people? 
What if we would go out of our way and be inconvenienced by love? What if we would just walk out of church this weekend and give the Holy Spirit permission this week to inconvenience us in the name of love? Not judgment, not tear system. So if you, if you have a bunch of stuff, Jesus wants to meet you with your grace, with his grace. If you already have Jesus, he wants us to go love like him. And if Jesus knew no stranger, knew no outsider, and we're to be like him, who are we to, to live any differently, right? So here's what I want to do to close. I want you just to have a moment right where you're at. I want 30 to 60 seconds. I'm not going to have anybody raise their hand or stand or pray. I'm just going to pray for all of us. But before we do, you've been listening for a while. I want you just to respond in your own heart. Have a little prayer in your mind or whisper a prayer. If you need to receive Jesus today and put your faith in him and say, I want this, do it right where you're at. We also have a prayer team in the prayer room that would love to be part of that with you. Maybe you just need to ask God, like, God, help me to love like you love. Let me experience your love so I can go love like you did, that I would not go out of my way to avoid hard people, but I would go out of my way to love people who desperately need it. Tell me somebody who needed to be loved more than that woman that day. There wasn't one. She just needed somebody to care and love. You all have those people in your life. And if you get to know them and get to know their story, maybe, just maybe, you're the Jesus that he always intended to be in their life. So here's what I want you to do. Just take 30 to 60 seconds. Bow your heads right where you're at. You have a moment with God. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? And then I'll pray and close. thank you that you sent Jesus to show the world what you were like. I thank you, God, that wherever our mistakes, our sin increases, that your grace increases all the more. And so, God, if there's anybody here who has never believed in or received Jesus into their life, I pray that they would have the same transformational encounter today in their own life as this woman did thousands of years ago at a well in the Middle East. God, because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, I pray for those who needed to be reminded that you would come and meet them in the center of their dysfunction, their shame, their guilt, their outcastness, and show them the love and grace and purpose that they've always longed and desired. And God, for the rest of us believers, God, help us to be more like Jesus in this story. Help us to know no outsider. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to inconvenience us this week in the name of love. That we would go out of our way to love and serve, not go out of our way to avoid and judge. God, I pray that you would reveal your love to us in new ways, that you would fill us full because we can only give what we have. So I pray that your love would re-reveal itself to us uh, emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, however we, both, we receive it most so that we can take this message and it wouldn't just be information, but it would lead to life transformation. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you that you are never done with us and there's always hope and you will meet us wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen.